I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Back at the beginning of the year, I started to study and working our way through the book of 1 Peter. I thought this is a pastor writing to scattered sheep, and throughout the time of the virus, of course, so many of our people were scattered one from another, and still some of our people are unable to attend. And So we have been looking at how these sheep have been scattered because of persecution, and Peter's writing to some of his former church members, I believe, probably from Jerusalem, uh, to encourage them, to try to help them to know how to live for Christ during these times. Last time, I, last week, I looked at verses 1 and 2, kind of a sidebar message. I looked at how our major temptations come from the world, our flesh and the devil. You typically would hear the world, the flesh and the devil. Uh, I believe the world and the persecution that it brings, brings a temptation. The least of all the temptations really comes through persecution. That sounds almost horrible to say. You say persecution is so difficult and so troubling on people. Uh, but the reality of it is that the world can't do anything to make us sin. Then we also evaluated how our flesh is probably the primary reason for which we fall. But again, our flesh can't make us sin. Neither can the devil. And so we have the opportunity to live a victorious Christian life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So then this week, focusing on the remainder of the verses here in this paragraph, and even going back to verses 1 and 2, I want us to see how, now that the Christian is free from sin, how they're able to now be servants of the Lord. In fact, that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. Uh, now that we are free from sin, we can yield our servants, uh, servants of righteousness. And so I want to encourage us today through this message on how we can begin now to live our lives for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we need you. Uh, Father, how we need the, the Trinity working on behalf of us. And I'm so thankful, according to Romans and other passages, uh, how the entire Trinity works on our behalf. Father, I just thank you for the power that we can have through Jesus Christ over sin. And now, Father, we need to yield ourselves to be Christ-like and to have a tremendous testimony for you. So guide in the time that we have together here, considering the two points of this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to first of all begin with verse number one here, considering this, your motivation for Christ-likeness. What motivates you to stop doing certain things and to begin serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What is motivating you to do that? By the way, I think motivation's huge. Uh, think about some of the projects maybe you have around the house. Uh, maybe you like my, you might be like myself. I don't really enjoy painting, so when a project includes painting, you aren't very motivated to get it done. Uh, you try to do everything else. You try to sometimes let the painting sit for a while. You you just aren't motivated to accomplish that task. 
Uh, maybe for you, it's uh, cleaning out the garage or the shed. Do you have something like that, a project, a closet maybe? Uh, maybe the spring cleaning or fall cleaning you do, you're just not very motivated to do it. And because of the lack of motivation, it makes it a tough project to accomplish. Uh, maybe it's a car. How do all those things get captured in your car? And then they end up growing things on top of them. They've been in there so long. And so finally, when you get to uh, attack that project of cleaning the car, it's quite a mammoth project. Well, again, God has told us in a number of occasions what ought to motivate us to be willing to live for Him. Think without turning there, maybe of Romans chapter 12. I beseech ye therefore by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. So what's Paul saying there to the people of Rome? He's saying because of how merciful God has been to you, won't you be willing to give your life as a living sacrifice back to him? Another passage I think of is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think it's verse 14. Uh, where it says that the love of Christ constraineth us. What Constrain means to really move forward, to thrust forward. Well, it says the love of Christ. Thinking about how much He loves me, it motivates me to be an, ultimately an ambassador for Him. And that passage would go on and says we are ambassadors for Christ. So why should I want to go and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, think of His love for you. Think of how He loves you with an everlasting love. That ought to motivate you to be willing to take time out of your busy schedule to be a, a willing witness for Him. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verses 19 and 20, where it goes on verse 20. It says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You know, we think, oh, this is my body, I can do with it what I want. Wait a second, that's not what the Scripture says. Scripture says now that you're a Christian, what ought to motivate you is the fact you've been bought with a price. God has given His Son for you. Now surrender your body and your spirit to God. So again, motivation is huge in life and even in the Christian life. And God has told us many reasons. God ought to just say to every one of us, serve me. And we ought to all say, yes, sir. But God has included in His Word passages to help us understand why we ought to say yes, sir, and why we ought to be willing to yield and surrender to Him. In this passage, I believe there are really three motivations for Christ-likeness. You're being willing to give up things to look like Christ and to become more like Christ. Look at verse number 1, where it says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, with the same type of thinking. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So he says, when Christ came to this earth, what, what motivated him to give up the glories of heaven and the fellowship, the, the daily and ongoing fellowship with his Father? What motivated him to come down to earth take on the body of a man, suffer, and even go to the cross of Calvary. Well, what motivated him was you. What motivated him was me. 
What motivated him was the world that was lost in sin. And he was willing to give up all of those things for us. He was willing to give up the glories of heaven for you, for me. So one of the things that ought to be our motivation, if he was willing to do that for us, I ought to be willing to do that for him. And so he's writing to these Christians who are actually going through suffering. And I'm sure at times, don't you get tired of suffering? Uh, maybe if you got an ongoing cold, you got some type of a sickness. Uh, maybe if it even just lasts a week, you're done with it, aren't you? By the end of the week, you're just sick of being sick. You're already complaining. And God sent His Son. And for 33 and a half years, He suffered in many respects just taking on human flesh and being restricted to this life on this earth. But he says here, For as much then as Christ hath suffered in the flesh, arm yourself. By the way, that's a huge embattlement. That's not a, a casual term there. It actually means this is a major project. This is a major conflict that's going on. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Say, you know what? I, if He's willing to suffer for me, I'm going to be willing to suffer for Him. And that's the mindset that we ought to take on. Now, that's not the only place where He really gives us motivation. Look a little bit further. Because my goal isn't actually to just be like another Christian. You know, I, I look around this room here, and I, and I pick out a couple Christians, and I say, well, I wish I was more like so-and-so. I wish I, I had some of the characteristics of so-and-so. I was thinking of somebody this past week, a Christian friend of mine, he's also a pastor, and I was thinking about situations like, man, I wish I was like him. And uh, he just emulates Christ in some specific situations in his life. And I, and I think, wow, I wish I was like him. But you know what? Ultimately, our goal is to be like Christ. As great as some people seem to be around us, there is no one like Christ. Even Paul says, follow me as long as I'm following Christ. Don't follow me if I'm doing anything else. By the way, very wise words uh, spoken by the Apostle Paul. And so he gives us so, some more motivation. Look down to verse 4 with me. I'm going to skip over two verses, but go back to them. Wherein they think it strange, this is talking about the world that's persecuting them, the Roman world, they think it strange that ye run not with them to the, the same excess of riot. By the way, the same drunkenness. You know, the world, by the way, the verse ends speaking evil of you. They're speaking evil of you, but at the same time, why aren't they doing what we're doing? Why don't they act like we act? Why don't we, they drink like we drink? Why, why don't they sin like we sin? You know, another motivation for us ought to be this, that the world is watching us if we're professing to be Christians. And while the world may ridicule us and the world may put us down at the same point, they are wondering, why aren't they doing what we're doing? Why, why are they keeping their lives more clean than we are? Why do they go to church all the time? And so again, another motivation ought to be for every one of us, hey, we've got a world watching us. We're trying to reach the world that's out there that's lost in sin. We're trying to reflect Christ. We are, we are wanting them to, to watch us. And so with them watching us, we ought to so much the more be motivated to be like Christ. And then look at one more here in verse number 5. 
who shall give account to him, being Christ, that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Do you know one day we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we did with the opportunities Christ has given to us? What, if the, what about the opportunity that God gave us to become more like Christ? We are going to give an account for that. And, and if we simply put it off and we don't become more like Christ, God, God is going to say, wait a second, I wanted this to motivate you. One day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account with what you've done with the opportunities God has given you. Isn't that kind of some kind of motivation for you? Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Wherefore, whether present or absent, they were living that they might be accepted or well-pleasing to Him. You know what? That ought to be a motivation to us. So first of all, I want to see in this passage of Scripture that there ought to be a motivation. Why should I be Christ-like? Why should I put off some things? We have this understanding. Listen, we live in the age of grace, correct? Is that correct? We have individual soul liberty. Is that correct? So then, this is what we do. We, we live in the age of grace. We have individual soul liberty. So that equals, I can do whatever I want. Is that correct? But that's a false assumption many Christians have made. Many, Pastor Terry made a good response there. God forbid that we live that way. But many times we have the idea, hey, I'm in the age of grace. I can do whatever I want. I'm in the age of grace. I've got Christian liberty. So if I want to do that, I don't care if no one else thinks it's right. I'm doing it anyway because I live in the age of grace. Dear friend, I want you to know Apostle Paul addressed this several times at the church of Corinth, a troubling church. He says, you know what? There comes many times in my life I get to the point and I say, you know what? I can do what I want. All things are, 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 all things are what? Lawful unto me, thank you. She wrote the sermon, she ought to know. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not, all things aren't expedient. So while under the law, yeah, I, I could do it, but it's not always best. It's not always for God's honor and glory. It's not always helpful to others. It's not always ultimately what God wants me to do. So there ought to be some motivation in our lives. Say, all right, well, I'd really like to do this. I'm not going to do it for the sake of Christ. I want to be more like Christ. Boy, think of what all He gave up for me. I'm going to give this up for Him. Think about a world around me is watching me. I'm going to give that up. Just, I don't want anything to keep so-and-so from going to heaven and a desiring a relationship with God. And boy, think of it. One day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I want to change my life before that day comes. Then let's look at a second thing here. Not only that motivation, but I want us to look at the mandate. What was he then mandating? He's, remember, he's writing to Christians who are suffering. By the way, when a Christian is suffering, they're very often going to pick up sinful habits just for some pleasure. You've gone through all this suffering, and very often it's during times of suffering that it leads us to the temptation of doing something wrong. So look here in verses 2 and 3. They're the verses I skipped over. So he's talking about the Christian that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of man, but to the will of God. He's saying as a Christian, 
A Christian should no longer live to the lust of men, but to the will of God. He said, okay, it's time for you to make some changes. So as a Christian, you should no longer be living for your lust. I was stopping and thinking about this this week. If Christ suffered for my sin, not only to forgive it, but to give me victory over it, why then should I live in that sin? Isn't that an abomination to God? God died not only to forgive me of that sin, but to give me victory over it. And now I'm going to live it? I'm going to choose to commit that sin? Again, God forbid. Let's just be practically thinking as Christians. God died for our sins. Why should we live therein? So he's saying there to them, this, this Christian should no longer live the rest of his life in the flesh. You, you aren't to... The Bible says in Romans 14, I think it's verse 8, whether you live or die, you are the Lord's. So you need to stop and think, wait a second. I now just present my body a living sacrifice to Him. It goes on then to say, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. What a mouthful. The beginning of verse number uh, 3 is here. For the time past, by the way, a time that's over and done with. Been there, done that. So he's talking about before salvation. For the time past, before I was saved, of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, meaning the will of an unsaved person. He says, listen, this is what he's basically saying, and very practically. He's saying, didn't you get enough of living in the flesh before you got saved? Why do you need to keep living in the flesh? That's a really good question. Peter's saying, didn't you get enough of living in the flesh before you got saved? Now, you're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So he's saying, now you ought to live differently. So as Christians, we are to make some changes, no longer living like we're Gentiles or unsaved people. And look what he goes on to say. When we walked in lasciviousness, loss, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable uh, idolatries. You say, wow, that's quite a list. What do all that mean? Well, actually, no. But for the sake of time, let's just understand that list right there in verse number 3 basically means uncontrolled and forbidden desires that generally involve drinking and a loose lifestyle is basically what's that talking about. By the way, I'm convinced, I don't know if you are, but I'm convinced in reading the Word of God that as a Christian, I shouldn't be drinking alcohol. The Bible says it clouds your judgment. He says kings shouldn't be drinking alcohol, it clouds their judgment. I'm convinced of this. That as a born-again Christian, I ought to be abstaining that because it weakens my mind, it weakens my decision-making, it causes sometimes us to make poor judgments, errors in judgment. And so I, as a Christian, ought to abstain from all that. You say, well, I see some loophole in grace that says I should be able to do that. Well, dear friend, this is one of those areas that say, you know what, I just want to be more like Christ. And if this would get in the way of anybody getting saved, 
Wow, what, what, what guilt would be upon my life for that? And one day I'm going to have to give an account of myself. So you know what? I'm going to give up alcohol. I've seen what it's done in people's lives. I think there are so many verses that explain the prohibition to it. I'm going to give that up. And you say, ultimately, I think you're wrong. That's all right. I'm happy the way I am. I'm just going to live my life for the Lord Jesus Christ because I don't want there to be anything that would keep somebody else from getting saved. I find it interesting. Two of these words here, include alcohol, the idea of alcohol. He's saying, don't live like the Gentiles. And in two of them, he mentions the, the, the words mean a, a life led by alcohol and a life that involves alcohol. So again, as Christians, I think we ought to be giving up these sinful, forbidden, uncontrolled desires that would include a loose lifestyle that doesn't look like Christ. With that in mind, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. By the way, the room kind of feels silent right now, but that's okay. I don't mind standing alone. And uh, some of you might not stand where I stand, but that's okay. Uh, I, I think that we ought to live the purest life we can for the glory of God. Do you agree with that? I think you should, and I think you do. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. It's a great passage. It's going to be three verses that I'm going to talk to you about here, but not in succession. Uh, I want us to see then that we ought to be putting things off because it doesn't look like Christ to make room for putting things on that do look like Christ. Okay. With that in mind, let's look at verse 22. He's writing to these Christians, dynamic chapter, but let's just jump into verse 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, meaning the life before salvation, the old man, again, meaning the unsaved man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust or desires. He says, you know what? The way you lived before you got saved was because you were unsaved and you had sinful desires in your heart. But now you're Christians. And look what he says in verse number 20. I love this verse. But ye have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn to live like this from Christ. So who is my example is it some pastor or some missionary or some great Christian in the congregation here? Well, they might be a good example to me, but who's my ultimate example? It's Christ. And I ought to be choosing things that Christ would be choosing. And I ought to be putting off from me anything that doesn't look like Christ. So he says, I want you to put off the former conversation, verse number 22. I want you to... Realize you haven't learned living like that from Christ. Verse 20, now look at verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, so this is the Christian man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So what's he saying here? The writer Paul is saying something similar to what Peter is going to say. He said, I want you to put off this sin so you can make room for putting on that which is righteous, that which looks like God. So, who's my model? It's not another Christian. My model is Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says that we ought to be conformed to His image. I don't know if you notice today, but what I am wearing does not match. I have purposely worn this mixed match of an outfit to be a living illustration for you. This doesn't look right. 
this jacket does not match my tie nor my pants. After the first service, uh, one of the ladies came up and said, I was looking for the gray in your tie and I couldn't find it. Uh, someone else said, I had no idea. It looked good to me. <laughs> A number of years ago, Brian, the family, Brian, Caleb, uh, Christy, Karen, and me, we were down, we were presenting our ministry uh, down just outside, just west of uh, Washington, D.C. And we went to Colonial Baptist Church there, uh, Community Baptist Church in South Riding, uh, Virginia. And we were there on Father's Day, and we were there on a day, they, that on Father's Day, they had the ugliest tie contest. And so that day, these guys were wearing their ugly ties. And they, one guy had one made up. It came down to his knee. It was cardboard in the back. He had an eyeball from something hanging in the middle. of. I mean, he just kind of went over the top. He won, but I thought he lost, you know. Uh, he kind of took it over the top. The second guy, they brought him up, and they asked him about his tie. He goes, I didn't even know there was a contest today. <laughs> he said, I just picked out one of my ties. <laughs> So I guess the church let him know that day was pretty ugly. Uh, So anyway, uh, I am not wearing something that I, in fact, I thought if anybody's going to notice, probably my son Brian would notice I am mixed matched uh, this morning. And maybe Lynn over there would notice that. But anyway, I am not matching all. This doesn't look right. Uh, Dear friend, this is what I wanted to illustrate in the Christian life. Okay, I have something that matches and looks right. It's under the pulpit here. Uh, this matches perfectly, but you know what? You, you just can't put it on over top, can you? Oh, boy, this is getting snug. I do need to lose some weight now. Uh, you know, does that look good? Boy, this looks good, doesn't it? Thank you. No. But you know what? A lot of Christians do this. They put on some good things just to try to cover up. They don't get rid of their sin. But they try to put some things like Christ on over top just to try to make it look good. And we try to conform to Christianity. We don't put off the filth of the flesh. We just try to put on some good, doing some good things, looking some good ways. Uh, We try to dress appropriately at certain times, whatever it might be. But it's not what God wants. You know what God wants before we put on righteousness and true holiness is what God wants us to do is take off what doesn't look like Christ. He wants us to get rid of that. He he wants us to forsake it. By the way, it will come back, but in a different setting uh, with a different pair of pants and so forth. But He wants us to take that off and, and put it behind us and forsake that. Why? Because it doesn't look like Christ. Let me just ask you, what's in your life that doesn't look like Christ? What are you doing? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you saying? It isn't like Christ. He is saying to these Christians, after all that Christ has done for you, Why don't you arm yourselves likewise with the same mind? Saying, if He's willing to do this for me, I'm willing to lay some things off for Him. You say, but aren't you you missing some fun? (laughs) I don't even know. I don't even care. If it's for Him, who cares? 
Well, you maybe get to heaven and find out you could have done that. You could have watched that. You could have gone there. That's okay. I don't think I'm going to worry about it once I'm up there. And so what we do is we just simply lay aside anything that doesn't look like Christ. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you just get into the Word. Just read the Word. I'm going to be speaking tonight from Psalm 37 again, our Psalm of the Month. And one of the things I was just wrestling is, why is God laughing? Why is God laughing knowing their end? I want to know more about God because I want to be more like Him. Maybe I should be laughing too. And in what way? Laughing at what? And when should I be laughing? And how should I be laughing? We'll be looking at that tonight. Again, dear Christian, this isn't about us. This is about Him. Understand this. Maybe you've never heard this before, but we are not at the center of our world, or at least should not be. God should be at the center of our world. It's all about Him. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Live now for His honor and His glory. This isn't about us. Turn with me back to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to show you a verse there. And if I want to take the time, maybe go to one other passage very briefly. But look what he says in verse 6. I think I'll leave it with that. For... For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are, that are dead. He's saying there are some people that have already died, possibly through the persecution. He says, well, why was the gospel preached to them? They, they had to give up their life, and most probably it was because of the persecution, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. He said, one of the reasons I saved them, ultimately is what's saying, is so that they would be an illustration. They were being judged by men in the flesh. Why? Because there was an example of what Christ was. They needed an example of what Christ looked like. I think it was Hudson Taylor uh, that when he was preaching, uh, someone asked him, have you ever met Christ? And, and they, they said yes. And they, what do you, you know, and they, they were kind of inquisitive of that. Well, what do you mean? You're well, his name's Hudson. And they said, his name's Hudson. Hudson Taylor, the, the man you described as Christ, looks just like Hudson Taylor. Wouldn't it be great if someone asked about Christ and they'd say, yeah, he looks just like, and they filled in your name. That one I'm hearing about in the Bible looks just like that one I'm seeing in my life. He says, you know what? He says, the reason we preach the gospel to them is so that they would live on this earth and that, yes, they would be judged for it. But then also, look what it says at the end of verse, but also live according to God in the Spirit. They were being judged on the outside, but their life was hidden on the inside. And it was empowered by God. You know what? There's some things in your life, I believe, that don't look right. Are you willing to put it off for Christ? 
He died for your sin. Don't you think it'd be appropriate to then put it off? Again, I need no more greater motivation than just simply ask. But the Bible's given us some. It says, you know what? It'll make you be just like Christ. The world's watching you, and one day you will be at the judgment seat of Christ. So stop and think right now, what is in your life that doesn't look right? Are you willing to put it off for God? Let's pray. Your Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there are some things in my life that don't look right. And frequently, I'm putting things off, recognizing, trying to make changes. Uh, even as I'm privileged to know where I'm going, and sometimes you're dealing with my heart before we get here. And I'm thankful for growth and change that you can create in my life. Uh, Father, maybe there's some others, as they heard this message this morning, would say there are some things in my life that don't look right. There are some things that they ought to be putting off as well. With heads bowed and eyes closed, who would say, Keith, uh, as you preached, I recognize there are some things in my life that, that don't look like Christ. Uh, maybe I've been claiming liberty. Maybe I've been claiming grace. Maybe I can claim I can do whatever I want. But the reality of it is I know down deep my conscience knows, my conscience bearing witness, he mentions, that it's not right. Uh, would you pray for me? I'm, I want God's help. I want to make some changes in my life so I can have a greater impact for the Lord. Would you pray for me with an upraised hand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A number of hands have been raised. Praise the Lord. Dear Father, you've seen these hands that have been raised. I pray specifically and especially for them. Uh, they're recognizing through this message there are some things that just don't look right. And I pray you'd help them to make the needed changes. Father, I, I couldn't change on my own and neither can they. And so I just pray that you would really help them uh, to make those needed changes in the days ahead. Uh, Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that is not a child of yours, uh, they have not trusted alone in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. May they be willing to surrender all. And at, at, at today, being the day of their salvation, may they be willing to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And so lead them, guide them. May your Holy Spirit draw them to you and who you are. Uh, Father, draw them to make those sacrifices. I, I'm not saying that they can get saved and go back to doing whatever they want. I, I think they ought to be willing to uh, see, see some changes in their life because of what you want to do through them. And I pray you'd work mightily in hearts right now, especially hearts that need the Savior.